0: Del Rio, Texas. It's a small city just east of the state's Big Bend region. It's right on the Rio Grande. The U.S. Census estimates its population is about 35,000 people, but authorities think that number jumped by half just this past month. The reason? Refugees, many of them Haitians. They've set up a tent city under a freeway overpass. They're hoping for a chance to live in the United States, but the Biden administration isn't so welcoming. I'm Gustavo Ariano. You're listening to The Times, daily news from the LA Times. It's Thursday, September 23rd, 2021. Today, the second part of our series on migrant camps on the U.S.-Mexico border with LA Times reporter, Molly Hennessy Fisk. Earlier this week, we heard from Central Americans on the Mexican side who are waiting to have their U.S. asylum cases heard. In this episode, we turn to the U.S. side, where Haitians are waiting but have little hope to remain here. In fact, the U.S. government is deporting plane loads of them to Haiti as we speak. President Joe Biden barely mentioned Haiti during his presidential campaign. But in his first year on the job, he's had to deal with two big developments in the Caribbean nation. First came the July assassination of Haiti's president, Juvenal Moise. The search is on for the gunman who assassinated the president of Haiti. Juvenal Moise was shot and killed in his home.
1: Interim Prime Minister Claude Joseph said elections scheduled for later this year should be held. Joseph said the police and military were in control of security in Haiti, but the Dominican Republic said it was closing the border and reinforcing security in the area.
2: I delivered a message to the nation. I ask them to keep calm that everything is under control. And I also declare a state of emergency.
0: And then a magnitude 7.2 earthquake that killed over 2,000 people.
2: The death toll from Haiti's powerful 7.2 magnitude earthquake has risen to over 1,200, as rescuers scramble to retrieve those stuck under the rubble ahead of an approaching storm.
0: Adding to the misery in Haiti as residents continue to dig through the rubble and find bodies, Tropical storm Grace is sweeping over the impoverished island nation with drenching rains. Many, like Odette today were left homeless or afraid to go back inside because of aftershocks. Sleeping on the streets of Lake High, she says she doesn't even have a piece of plastic to cover herself and her children. A steady stream of Haitians out of their homeland over the past decade has become even bigger. But the US is putting them on planes and sending them back to their home country as soon as possible. It's a mass deportation that hasn't been seen in decades. This isn't anything new for Haitians. For decades, the US has treated them far differently from other migrants from the Western Hemisphere. Molly Hennessy Fisk is the LA Times' Houston bureau chief and is currently in Del Rio. Molly, welcome to The Times. Thanks for having me. What's the short version of Haiti's relationship to the United States when it comes to migration?
1: So it has been very difficult for Haitians to get into the United States for a long time. A lawmaker who has been highly critical of President Clinton's immigration policies now says he's moving in the right direction.
2: New York Congressman Charles Rangel says Clinton is correct in vigorously enforcing the laws to prevent people from illegally getting into the country.
1: Years ago, under past administrations, they would cross over water to Florida often and get detained while others from other countries like Cuba had a separate admissions policy. They called it at the time wet foot, dry foot.
0: Officials say the Haitians, 97 in all, arrived in a rickety 30-foot sailboat in the wee hours of the morning.
1: The wet-foot, dry-foot policy for Cubans meant that if Cubans made it ashore to the United States, they would be allowed to stay. However, if they got caught while they were still in the water on a boat or a raft, for instance, then they would be sent back. Also rescued were several Cuban refugees. Both the Cubans and the Haitians will be processed by immigration officials. Usually, Cubans are quickly processed, while Haitians are often detained for much longer periods. Haitians have been coming to the southern border of the United States a lot in recent years. We've had camps on the Mexican side back in 2019 in the same city across from Del Rio that had Haitians in them. And in recent months, there were Haitians staying in uh, other border cities across the Texas border and in Tijuana. So they've been subject to metering, to having to wait to claim asylum uh, and other restrictions like Title 42 pandemic policy that doesn't even allow migrants to claim asylum asylum.
0: And this has been going on for decades, going back to the Clinton administration. But it really started picking up after the 2010 earthquake that killed about 200,000 Haitians.
1: That's right. A lot of the Haitians that I talked to at the camp in Del Rio said that they left Haiti after the earthquake, but they didn't come to the U.S. directly. They came to South American countries first, to Brazil and a lot to Chile, where they worked, a lot of them, for about four or five years. And then a couple of months ago, because of economic conditions there, because of discrimination and difficulty that they had, um, not just trying to work, but trying to live. Some said they were threatened by gangs. They decided to come to the U.S.
0: And you also saw them in Mexico as well. I know every time my family would go to Tijuana over the past couple of years, we'd see more and more Haitians working in the mercados there in Tijuana. It seemed like the Mexican people, for the most part, accepted them. But how did Latin American countries treat these Haitian refugees?
1: The Haitians that I talked to who were at the Del Rio camp, some of them said that they encountered a lot of discrimination when they were in Chile, for instance. Some of them said they couldn't get work permits, so they were paid a lot less. They said in a month they would earn about $400 U.S. and they were still sending money back to Haiti, so they were functionally earning a lot less because they were sending money back to their families. A lot of them had relatives in the United States in in Florida in New York, some in California, and they told me they knew how much more they could earn in the U.S. and how much better the living conditions would be. But they also said that they encountered increased discrimination in recent months as the economy got worse in those South American countries and they were having to, to really scramble to compete and get work.
0: And the Haitian diaspora, of course, the biggest population is in the United States. And enough people have come in the decades since the earthquake that in May of this year, the Biden administration offered what's called temporary protected status for about 150,000 Haitians without papers. What did that mean?
1: The migrants that I talked to, I asked some of them whether they knew about that, that people had gotten TPS in, in May. Temporary protected status basically means that people who were in the country and didn't have permanent legal status now are allowed to stay legally. And there are a lot of rumors and the migrants who are traveling, because for some of them, it takes them almost a year to get from South America up to the U.S. border. So they don't know exactly what the policies are. Um, Almost no one knew what Title 42 was or remain in Mexico, or any of these U.S. border policies. They just hear things on the news about families getting through, whether it's Haitian families or or Central American families, and think that that means they might have a chance.
0: Molly, if the Haitians you talked to hadn't heard about all these different legal and political maneuvers by the United States, why the recent rush to get into the U.S.?
1: So those that I talked to said it really was more of a push factor than a pull factor. Obviously, there is the pull of being able to earn more money and send your kids to public school in the United States and live near your family members. But the push factor was, like some of the folks I talked to who were in Chile said they had had gotten death threats from gangs. They stand out and they felt like They were becoming a target of the frustration of people who weren't able to get jobs or had lost their jobs because of the economic conditions there.
0: After this break, we'll go to Del Rio. Stay tuned. So, Molly, this past week, you're in the Del Rio camp. How were you able to access it?
1: So it's difficult because U.S. officials, uh, Border Patrol, the Texas state troopers who are there, they've blocked off the camp on the U.S. side to the press and the public. You can't access it, even though it's on U.S. soil on the U.S. bank of the Rio Grande, right near and under the border bridge that connects Del Rio, Texas to uh, Ciudad Acuna, Mexico. And that border bridge is closed as well, so you can't just drive across and come over from the Mexico side. So I had to drive about an hour and a half east to Eagle Pass, Texas, cross through the border entry there, then drive back west to Ciudad Acuna. And I went down to the river there where Haitians have been crossing from the camp to Mexico through the river to buy food, water, other supplies that they're not given at the camp. And uh, that's where I was able to, to access the camp and talk to people.
0: You did an episode earlier this week about the Reynosa camp in Mexico. What did you see in Del Rio that was different from that?
1: Well, one of the differences is that the Del Rio camp is in a completely undeveloped area. The Reynosa camp is in a plaza in the center of town. There are vendors around it. People there are still desperate in both places they are living without the conditions you would find in a United Nations refugee camp, for instance. They don't have latrines. They don't have water tanks that are, are established for drinking and washing water. They don't have formal streets and security and reliable food source and any kind of formal medical care in either place.
3: They gave us a bottle of water and one slice of bread. And there is some of us that have four or five person in the family content. So what we can do with one slice of bread for five person, it's really complicated for us here.
1: So there's separate sections of the camp where U.S. officials have placed single men, single women, and families. And I was talking to one of the people who was being held in the family section, Alex Bravener, and he was telling me about just his frustration.
3: The condition is very complicated. It's horrible because we don't really have a good bathroom. We cannot go to the river to take shower. And then we cannot buy food because they are not allowed us to cross the river to Mexico to buy some food for the children and for us to eat. They are not allowed, they did not give us permission.
1: The difference to me in Del Rio is that it's even more primitive because it's cut off from both cities. It's been built under this bridge in this swampy area next to the river. So the migrants have fashioned huts out of the reeds that grow along the river. They're sleeping in the dirt, in the dust they are not allowed to cook. Uh, They told me that there was a woman who started a cooking fire and she immediately got deported um, by the U.S. officials. So they have to cross the river to get food and water and and the things they need. There's a lot of kids there. There's a number of pregnant women. And so they're going back across the river to get water for baby formula, diapers, and, and other supplies. I have 25 years old. If I am hungry,
3: I can stay for two, three, four days without eating nothing. But for children two or three years old, it's very, very dangerous.
0: As you showed in the episode with the Reynosa camp, there is mostly Central Americans. And in many ways, Haitians share a lot of the same reasons for leaving economic depression, repressive government, natural disasters. But Biden's telling the Central Americans to stay put in Mexico and maybe they'll have a chance at asylum. Well, he's sending those Haitians back home immediately. Why?
1: Clearly, Border Patrol is overwhelmed in Del Rio, So we've seen several um, Homeland Security officials appear here in Del Rio in recent days. The Secretary of Homeland Security was here. The Border Patrol Chief, Chief Raul Ortiz, who's actually a native of Del Rio and previously served as the Border Patrol Chief here in Del Rio, were both here. The governor's going to appear here today with some more law enforcement folks. And the message has consistently been that The migrants who are here are going to get deported under Title 42, this pandemic policy that allows the U.S. to expelling people because it's not a formal deportation because they don't get a chance to claim asylum. They're just sent back. To their countries. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas was here in Del Rio this week and he said that conditions are different now than they were after the 2010 uh, earthquake in Haiti and that that's why they're expelling migrants and deporting them under Title 42.
0: As tragic and devastating as it is and was is distinct from the January 10th, 2010 earthquake that was not as geographically limited as this one is. We made an an assessment based on the country conditions, as we are required to do, that a redesignation of Haiti was not warranted on the facts, on the conditions in Haiti. What's been the Border Patrol response? Because there's been a lot of pictures of Border Patrol agents on horseback. I saw huge caravans of like SUVs with their sirens wailing, going down a dusty road into what I assume was a camp.
1: Correct. So you have to remember that before these migrants in the camp arrived, there was a massive surge of law enforcement by the state of Texas into Del Rio. And it has been a talking point for conservatives. There's been an increased flow of migrants into the area. So we already had a lot of state troopers living at hotels in the area, camped out at the fairgrounds when the camp formed. Border Patrol uh, cordoned off the area and they started appearing on horseback. So you have state troopers lining the river now in their SUVs. And then you also have Border Patrol appearing on horseback. And yesterday I saw them on a boat in the river as well. Some of the agents told me that they thought it was unsafe in the camp and I didn't see them interacting very much with migrants. They were mainly were up on their horses, kind of patrolling around, like you would, you would see police on horseback in a crowd. And the actual deportations,
0: how are they working?
1: Well, there have been buses arriving at the camp and taking people away. The migrants told me that when they come to the camp, officials give them a numbered ticket. And when their number gets called, they're supposed to go to the buses. And the ones I talked to, the migrants said that they saw people whose numbers were called and that officials told them, you're going to rejoin your relatives in the United States. But the migrants said they don't know what to believe because at the same time, there's migrants from the camp getting deported.
0: Haitian migrants flown by the U.S. to their homeland try to get back on the plane in Port-au-Prince. The chaotic effort to send thousands of Haitians back home included a scene at the airport in Port-au-Prince. A siren wails as a fire burns. Some of those who had just gotten off the plane try to get back on, leading to scuffles and arguments with police. The expulsion flights are expected to continue, while Mexico is also moving some migrants away from the border near Del Rio, Texas. Boston-based Partners in Health is demanding an end to the flights, which it calls inhumane treatment of Haitian migrants and asylum seekers. Molly, the NAACP also referred to this treatment as inhumane and even compared it to the Trump administration's immigration policies. Except with Haitians, we've seen such quick clampdowns happen again and again with different administrations. Some activists have even called that approach anti-black.
1: Well, and I talked to some immigrant advocates about that in Reynosa who are working not just with the Central Americans, but also with the Haitians who are there. They're mostly living in apartments, not in camps or or in a migrant shelter that's there in Reynosa. And they are frustrated on their behalf because there have been historically different processes for the U.S. handling asylum applications for Haitians versus people from other countries. But also there have been so many Haitians who've come to the U.S. that there are a lot of these uh, migrants who have ties to the U.S., who have connections, who have close relatives who are already in the country. And so it's a, it's a dilemma.
0: For these refugees to travel so far, then only to be told to the U.S. that we're not even going to consider you for asylum, it must be really heartbreaking for them.
1: So I was sitting and talking to a group of the migrants. They would form like a crowd around me when I came in, many of them asking, what's going to happen? Are we going to be deported? What is the law? Can you explain this to us? Many of them speak Spanish because they've spent um, years in South America. So I would explain it to them in Spanish. I would say, you know, I'm not a lawyer, but let me explain to you what I've been reporting. And then afterwards, some of them got really emotional and they started talking about their journeys, what they went through traveling for nearly a year through places like the Darien Gap, from Colombia to Panama, walking on foot, some of the horrors that they saw in the jungle being threatened by uh, smugglers holding guns to their heads, um, seeing women and girls raped and being robbed of everything that they had. And when they, they imagined being deported back to Haiti, they couldn't imagine a life back there after all that they'd gone through to get out. So I was talking to a, a man who asked to be identified as reggaeton because he didn't want to use his real name in case you know it might affect his, his immigration claim, but he got really emotional. He was kind of crying when he talked about his child and the conditions they were living in and his dream of America.
3: Por favor, queremos salir de esa situación, porque ya America no merece ser tratado aquí de esa forma. Por favor.
1: And he still had hope, but he hoped that somehow uh, American officials would change their minds and give folks in the camp a a chance to claim asylum.
3: Por favor, auxiliano. No podemos aguantar con nuestra familia llorando que no podemos, no podemos, que no podemos.
0: The other Haitians you talk to, do they feel the same way as reggaeton?
1: Yes, and some of them were even more desperate. I talked to a guy named Cloudy. He also just wanted to use his first name. And he's at the camp with his wife, who's several months pregnant, and it's his first child. I would love to have my baby, you know, work for my baby. I would love to. It's going to be my first baby. There is no
2: life for us in Haiti.
1: He started crying as we were talking and um, even started to say that he was considering killing himself, that he felt suicidal. I don't know what I'm going to do to
2: myself because
1: I don't want to go back to Haiti.
2: I don't want to go back to Haiti. Lord forgive me, I might kill
1: myself because I don't want to go back to Haiti. I'm seriously, I don't want to go back to Haiti. He had been living in South America and wished he hadn't come because he just couldn't face deportation to Haiti. He said he doesn't have any family that he knows of still there. He doesn't know what he would do if he went back for work and and he's really afraid.
2: I said, God, I spent all my money. I'm going to live in Haiti. I'm going to live in Haiti. In a place there is no work. In a place there is no food. In a place that where your mom depends on fifty dollars, fifty dollars that you sent for her, not enough. How am going to live then?
0: Molly, thank you so much for this conversation.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: After we published this episode, Molly ran into Claudie, the man who had told her he was experiencing suicidal thoughts because he couldn't imagine going back to Haiti after everything he had been through to get to the U.S. We have an update on his story and wanted to share with you.
1: After visiting the Haitian migrant camp this week on the Mexican side of the Rio Grande, I came back to Del Rio, Texas, and visited the only migrant shelter in town. And I was standing with a line of migrants who had just been released by the Border Patrol, talking to them when a man came up behind me and tapped me on the shoulder and said, Molly, do you remember me from the camp? And I looked around and it was cloudy. So, Claudy, where are you now? I'm in Texas, America. And I hugged him and I said, I'm so... Glad to see you, I was worried about you because he had been so emotional and feeling suicidal when he was in the camp, and he led me over to meet his partner, her two-year-old son, she's pregnant. So you made it with your wife? Yeah, I made it with my wife and and my son. your son. Yeah. He had been released to go join relatives in Miami. And he told me that he was feeling a lot better. He showed me the paperwork he'd received with a notice to report to immigration authorities in Miami. He had been fitted with an ankle monitor. He said officials didn't tell him why he got a notice to report to immigration officials instead of a notice to appear in immigration court, which some of the other migrants in line had received who had been released. He wasn't sure why he had received an ankle monitor, but he said he didn't mind. He was just overjoyed that he had been able to get released. And I know you said there were other migrants, Cuban migrants, who offered buy your ticket from you that allowed you to get on the bus. Why didn't you sell your ticket? He said when he was still at the camp, migrants were buying these numbered and color-coded tickets that allowed them to get released. People were buying tickets with higher numbers, thinking that would allow them to stay at the camp longer and figure out whether they were going to get deported or not, and maybe go back to Mexico if they were. Some other migrants tried to buy Cloudy's ticket, but he said he refused because he believed that his ticket was his blessing, and he had prayed for his safety, and it turned out that it was.
2: Because I told them that's my blessing. The number that, you know, the border police gave me, that's the number I would get to America. So I didn't want to give it to them. Yeah.
1: So what would you tell other migrants? What do you want other migrants in the camp to know who are still waiting and don't know what to do? I would
2: love them to stay there, not going back to Mexico. Yeah. Why? Because they, they, they might they, they might get a chance too. Like I get a the chance, they might get a chance, yeah.
1: And I know there was a time when you were very desperate at the camp.
2: Yeah, to be honest, too. Uh, no, because I don't know what I'm going to do in Haiti if I was get deported. So, like I said, there's no life in Haiti. So
1: So what would you like the government here or the people who control who gets deported and who doesn't to know about the situation? Would you like them to change the way they're handling things?
2: Yeah, I would love to, you know, just, you know, have com- compassion for, for, you know, for for the Haitian people, because we have been going to a lot in Haiti. We don't have president and, you know, a lot of illegal guns in Haiti. People have been killing a lot in Haiti. So, yeah, I would love them to, you know, have compassion for us.
0: The Del Rio border where Claudia and others stayed no longer exists, according to authorities. The US expelled thousands of Haitians last week and let thousands of others officially stay in the country, for now. 5,000 of those remain in federal custody. They'll be allowed to make their case before an immigration judge to remain in this country. But if they're denied, these migrants will be deported. And that's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Tomorrow, we find out about a forgotten Black activist from the East Coast who ended up in the LA suburb of Altadena. Our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Denise Guerra, Ashley Brown, Melissa Kaplan, and Marina Pena. Our engineer is Mario Diaz. Our editors are Shawnee Hilton and Lauren Rabb, and our theme music is by Andrew Eapin. Like what you're listening to? Then make sure to follow The Times on whatever platform you use. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back tomorrow with all the news in this mother. Gracias.